What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the CC Delco podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where we aim to go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning on a wide variety of topics. In today's episode, Pastor Bob Gaglione is interviewing Chad Williams. Chad was a former Navy SEAL. He's a best-selling author of his book, Seal of God. He's got an incredible testimony of just God's redemption and transformation. And in this episode, you're going to get to hear more in depth about his story and what his book is all about. So without further ado, sit back, listen up, and be blessed. Welcome to the CC Delco podcast, everyone. I'm Pastor Bob Gaglione, joined with Chad Williams today. Chad is a former Navy SEAL. He's now an author and speaker. He's got a great book called Seal of God. It sold over 100,000 copies. Chad, we're so glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us. I'm super pumped to be here. Thank you. So, Chad, Navy SEAL. Uh, when we hear that word today, it just speaks of elite, right? We've seen the books, the movies. It, it's used in conversation just to talk about the best of the best. But your story's a little different. Um, I remember reading Marcus Luttrell's book where he talked about he wanted to be a Navy SEAL all his life. Mm -hmm. And he trained all his life, you know, ran miles with cinder blocks on his shoulders. And still, when he went to training, thought he wasn't going to make it. You took a whole nother route. Right. <laughs> I, I probably made the decision, that big life-changing decision in a, in a matter of a minute. It, it, it's incredible. You're sitting in a car in a community college where you're supposed to take final exams and you don't even take the exams. Right. I'm just, because I'm failing all my classes. It's my own fault. You know, I'm, I'm turning out to be a loser. I mean, the uh. kind of guy that no young person wants to be. And the reason I'm failing is just because I wasn't showing up. I was ditching, hanging out with friends, surfing. There's no accountability. No one calling home when you're in college saying, Chad didn't show up today. Now, is there any way to chalk that up to, we graduate high school, many of us lack direction. Was it just you wanted to do your own thing? Could you summarize where you were mentally at that time? I think I lacked direction. Yeah. For a while, I was on the path of maybe be a professional skateboarder. I was competing in skateboarding. I was sponsored by Van Shoes, but that just didn't really do it for me anymore. And so my identity, I didn't realize it at the time, was locked up in that. I was known as, hey, that's Chad. He's sponsored by Van Shoes. Yeah. That's how I got introduced. So when I didn't have that anymore, kind of noticed how some of the friends that I had mm. began to kind of go off in, in different directions. And so that's where I kind of took this mental inventory of like, who am I? You know, what am I all about? And so I, I've tasted a little bit of success or status with the skateboarding thing, but I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want to do this academic stuff, at least not right now. And so the problem was, is I had no aim. And you know the saying, if you aim at nothing, You'll you will hit it. it. Was the community college a way to appease your parents or just start the traditional path? That's just the traditional thing to do. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't have great grades in high school, so I didn't get set up for a four-year college. But the next natural step, what you're supposed to do in life is, you know, go to the community college and figure it out. It's always bothered me because, you know, I was raised in Catholic schools and uh, I, there was just so many kids that were meant to work with their hands, become HVAC, mm -hmm. uh, firemen, cops. And yet today we just think, send everybody to college. And yet that's not everybody's path. And especially when you overlay God in the situation, you know, scripture says, set a child on the way he should go. What is his bent in life? But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So you're sitting in your car. You don't even get out of the car to take a final Navy SEAL. Like, 
What's up with that? I'm brainstorming. You know, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what am I going to do with my life? And so I started off with this really broad initial idea of just do something significant. And so the first idea that popped into my mind, I was working on sport fishing boats at the time. So I had a little bit of taste of what it's like to be out there on the water, yeah. 100 miles out, catching tuna, filleting fish, dropping anchors. Uh, I worked with guys that worked on the boats out in Alaska. Uh, crab fishing yeah the greatest and, catch yeah deadliest stuff. catch was yeah. out it's it's got sort of this um, mystique behind it yeah. being one of the most dangerous jobs in the world and you can make a lot of money doing it and there's not a lot of people that want to do it right i was one of those work with your hands types of people i like hard work so was risk and adventure always in your dna i think so i was yeah. always pushing it yeah and uh you know, my, my, my feelings were in skateboarding. It's like if you're not breaking bones, you haven't really pushed it enough. And so, I mean, I've broken my wrists and arms almost too many times to keep track of. I broke my back before I went into the military, got compression fractures from uh, snowboarding. So I was always really pushing the border in that So sense. I was a basketball player. A lot of my friends were football players, and we always said the difference is the football players, you had to have a screw loose, hmm. right? There's just no way you could do it without, like— having some wild abandon. So so when you figure out you want to be a Navy SEAL, you must have looked up the path. So how does that work? I had some concept of what it was to be a SEAL. I didn't know what the path was to get there, but I remember my dad telling me when I was younger, you know, that Navy SEALs, they're the elite of the elite. And so I'd be in a swimming pool and pretend I'm a Navy SEAL slipping into the water. Like little <laughs> did I know that that was in the back of my mind. And then I had read a book called Rogue Warrior by Richard Marcinko. And he was one of the you know founders of SEAL Team 6. And so mm. I had some concept of what it was to be a SEAL, but I didn't know what the path was, but I knew... That's what I want. And so that was the most important thing, I think, is figuring out what it is that I'm aiming at. And once you figure out that long-term goal, then it's just a matter of practical steps, stepping stones to get there. And so in the teams, we actually have uh, this saying, uh, this probably goes across all branches. It's a fundamental of shooting. It's called aim small, miss small. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that isn't small thinking. The idea is the more particular you could get mm -hmm. about whatever it is you're aiming at, the better shot you actually have of hitting it. So instead of just trying to aim at some enemy insurgent that's bearing down on my team and the goal is to put a round through him somewhere, well, if I miss, what happens? I don't touch him, I'm off target. But if I say, no, I'm not just looking to hit him, I'm going to aim small. I'm mm. trying to find that second button down on the t-shirt wow. that he's wearing. So I'm aiming small now. And maybe I miss, maybe I don't hit that button, right. but the miss will still be small and I'll find myself on target somewhere. Mm. And so I had my aim small, miss small in, you know, I want to become a Navy SEAL, and but not just that. I want to be competitive, like in this training. I'm right. not looking just across the finish line. I want to be somewhere in the front. So in the book, um, you talk about a man named Scott. And I think in everything we do in life, there's either someone helping us, pushing us, mentoring us. No, no one really does it alone. Why don't you talk a little bit about Scott? Yeah. And if you don't have someone like that, you better go find them because they're going to be the one that really advances you forward. You know, mentors yeah. are, man, that's like the boost yeah. right there. Scott's this extraordinary Navy SEAL. He holds all kinds of records. He's a world champion, panathlete. He was the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. And to kind of put that in perspective, every single Navy SEAL that ever was, is, or will be, we go through the same obstacle course. It still stands there in Coronado, San Diego. You can see it from the street if you're driving down the Silver Strand. Not a single Navy SEAL on the face of this planet could beat this guy wow. going through an obstacle course. So it kind of shows some superhuman ability because you think SEALs are special. Well, this guy's the SEAL of SEALs. Mm. Uh, he also is the youngest man to ever make it 
through SEAL training. And before I share what that is, just think about the adversity this guy had to go through before he ever got there. He grew up in over 20 different foster homes. He was a accomplished Navy SEAL. He made it by the time he was 17 My years gosh. old. And on top of that, kind of a funny one, but he was the only man at the time to beat the beast on a TV program called Man vs. Beast, where he was put up against a chimpanzee to run through an <laughs> obstacle course, and Scott pulled ahead oh, of this monkey goodness. on monkey bars. Wow. And so you could imagine what it's like you know, to get trained by him, is he's really investing into me, and he took me under his wing, and, and he was like a, a second father to me. Uh, but our, our time was coming to a close. You know, He got me ready. I remember uh, we were out in Santa Monica one day going for a run, and uh, I'm a little bit closer on his heels than normal. I think he knew it's it's you're ready to go. And so he's like, "All right, Junior, I think it's about time to get this ball rolling." Now the irony is, I think you met him through your dad, who was trying to help you with training, but also kind of trying to put some reality in your life that this is probably too big of a dream. I can only imagine being in his shoes. Here's your son that hasn't demonstrated the discipline to make it through the local community <laughs> college, and now he's informing you because I just go to him right after I yeah. make that decision to say, "Dad." Uh, I got to let you know some bad news. He didn't know I was failing yet. So I told him I'm not passing any of these classes. And he's like, what's the good news? I'm like, well, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and so here he is looking at his son, like saying, all right, I'm not making it at community college, but I'm going to go be a SEAL. So he's just kind of being the voice of reason, letting me know. Joining the military is not like anything you've ever done in the past, son. It's not like playing ball or skateboarding. It's not like going to the local community college that when you decide you're over it, you could just stop. Yeah. So he's giving me this talk about how, you know, if you sign up, once you sign up, that's it, you're theirs. And so maybe you find out it's not for you or suppose you don't make it through SEAL training. Just to be clear, you will still be in the military and you're probably gonna pick up a job like chip and paint off some right. boat off the coast of Japan. For me, that's the motivational speech that I needed. Wow. I, I don't need a pat on the back and that a boy, you can do it. I love the you know, this is a very challenging thing. Who knows if you really got what it takes. And so as days went by and I'm preparing, he found Scott somehow. And uh, he tells me, hey, so you really want to do this? You want to be a SEAL? I'm sitting there in his room with him like, yeah, dad, I want to be a SEAL. I'm thinking he's finally understanding. And he goes, well, great. Well, I set up a workout for you with the Navy SEAL. Mm. Check out my computer screen. And I remember being a little bit upset because I felt like, I'm not ready right. to work out with a Navy SEAL. Yeah, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah, you want to get yourself ready for that at least, yeah. And at the same time, I'm sort of taking this like mental inventory of like, my dad doesn't know any Navy SEALs. You can't just find a Navy SEAL. Mm. So I'm like, who did he find? He met some guy off the internet. Oh. And I'm looking at this email and it says, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm looking at that, looking at my dad saying, dad, let me get this straight. You meet this guy off the internet. He says he wants to play with me and you're arranging this whole thing right now. <laughs> you can't trust everything someone tells you on the web, dad. And he's just assuring me, you know, this is the real deal. And I'm like, all right, I'll go meet up with this guy. And uh, as it turns out, there's more of a conversation that took place prior mm -hmm. to that email that I had no clue about at the time and it happened on the phone and it basically was a conversation where my dad said, my son is, wants to be a Navy SEAL, he really has no idea the reality of what he's signing up for and so I'm wondering if you would be willing to meet up with him and what I'm asking you to do is I need you to basically beat it out of him. Sure. Like just put him through one yeah. that just crushes him and destroys yeah. him so he'll say, this isn't really what I want. So he didn't get a reply in the, in the phone call, guy wanted to think about it for a while, but then it came through, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? 
You know, so, on, a, on a lesser scale, it reminds me, you know, I said I played basketball in the Catholic League. We'd have 100 kids come out for high school basketball. But we, we already knew who the team was because no matter what they put us through, we weren't quitting. Mm-hmm. We, we were in. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of get that concept. It, it, when, when I read your book, when I hear your story, you're not a Christian yet. You don't have faith in Jesus Christ. But you can already see God setting all these things up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just amazing to me. You know, God, I mean, what are, what's, what are the odds uh, your dad would call Scott, who happens to be who he is, who would take the agreement and so on. So can you see God connecting the dots already? Yeah, especially in Scott, because Scott, as I look back on it, I mean, talk about almost a, a Jesus type, you know, in, incarnate. Uh, he was a servant leader. Uh, he really put the needs of others ahead of himself. He, you know, esteemed the needs of others as greater than his own. He really invested into the people that are around him. I think about how, you know, Jesus with his disciples got on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. And, you know, what came out of that is something that I don't think money can genuinely buy. Yeah. It's like just true sense of loyalty. Yeah. So that if you were asked to go one mile, you want to go too. And that's who Scott was in my life. And that was just a picture also of what it's like in the SEAL teams. What I would learn is that, you know, in the teams, it's humbly we serve. It's always your team first, then your buddy, then you. So the, the me is always last. We go into a room and we're going to be shooting. I'm not looking over my own back. I'm covering my buddy's back. Yeah. But while I'm doing that, I know he's covering my back. And so it creates this sort of family dynamic. And that's what everyone's always after is, you know, how can we uh, get a Navy SEAL to come out here and talk to our business about teamwork and being a team? Well, I think it, it only comes through that relationship of servant leadership. Exactly. And it's something that you can't just fabricate. Nope. You know, you can't say, well... If I do A, B, C, then what I'm going to get out of the people I'm working with is X, Y, Z. It's like, they'll see right through that. Yeah, it's still, if the goal is still you, it doesn't work. Right. So, you know, we've all heard about Navy SEAL training. All, and I don't know the day they tell you you made it, but tell us about that day when you finally find out you are a Navy SEAL. Right. So there's kind of like a couple high moments. The big surprise one is during Hell Week because Hell Week you're up for five and a half days. You get four hours of sleep. Seeing descriptions. Yeah, that's not not per night. That's a grand total. You know, four hours of sleep for the full five and a half days. And they days. try to drown you almost, right? It's <laughs> you, you perform what's called surf torture. And it's funny, the day and age that we're in, you know, now they call it cold water immersion. <laughs> you know, they don't, like, surf torture kind of has a, yeah. you know, kind of a tough ring to it, right. you know. And so you're laying down in the ocean two, three o'clock in the morning in February when the water temperature is at its absolute coldest. You're not wearing a wetsuit and you're just linked arms with your buddies and and you look like you're hanging onto a jackhammer. You're so cold. And the instructors will play head games with you. They'll say, hey, you know, we're going to keep doing this until just some arbitrary number. Three of you give up and quit. And so now you're there with these guys that have already made it through quite the process they haven't quit at a lot of lesser things that we've done that didn't feel like lesser things. Those You keep moving the bar on what was your your toughest moment. Like You, you keep setting a new toughest mm-hmm. moment. And uh, you, know, you hang in there, and eventually those quitters will arise, but it was difficult getting there. And so you play that game over and over. You run over 200 miles during this week. You're running around the boat on top of your head, and it's just grinding through the hair and skin. Uh, on the top of your skull. You can always see the guys that are going through SEAL training. If you've ever in Coronado, San Diego, you know, going across a crosswalk because you'll just see these guys with these circular bald spots on top of their heads. Um, But on top of all that physical exertion and sleep deprivation, 
leads into a funny one to look back on hallucination you know i grew up watching ninja turtles and i'm out there in the boat paddling around and as i'm in the water on this last night called around the world where we're gonna paddle around coronado island i'm looking in the water and i'm, I'm looking at like leonardo and i'm oh like trying to whack him with my paddle and like donatello and and so it's it those are the funny things to look back on but the big surprise was when they quote unquote secure hell week uh they had the class face away from the instructors and we don't know what's next. We just know something's brewing. They're planning some other kind of torture device for us. And then they say, class 254 about face. And so we do the 180, and there's this big, giant American flag wow. and all the instructor cadre standing there. And they say, you know, Bud's class 254, congratulations. How we could secure That is definitely a high, high moment. Wow. But you know there's more. You still wind up losing half the class after Hell Week, but mm. not for mental toughness issues. At that point, no one will ring a bell. No one is going to quit. But now it's it's time to learn some skill sets. And it's a fire hose of information that's coming out. And all oh. it takes is not even one bad day, just one bad moment. Man. And you can completely lose uh, the lane that you're in, the track that you're Incredible. on to be a SEAL. And I've seen it happen. A guy just a couple weeks before graduating, he made one little mistake with demolition. No one got hurt. And uh, frankly, it was a really not that dangerous of a situation, but he broke a hard rule. And mm -hmm. uh, they just made an example out of him. You're out of training. So sad to see. So that could happen all along the way. So you're stressed out the whole time, but finally graduation, that day mm -hmm. where you know it's, it's come. You get the trident. Yeah. You know, the insignia says you've done it. This is your new identity now. Welcome to the brotherhood. You are a seal. This was one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life because I could look back to that parking lot in the junior college where I thought, man, I was on the track of being such a loser and what a juxtapose. Now, here I am, you know, I've become something. Not only that, I'm, I'm walking in my mentor's footsteps yeah. because something did happen along the way. Uh, Scott, as he was going out on one final deployment, was on the phone with me as I'm about to go off to boot camp and he's telling me how he's only gonna be gone a couple months and uh, I'll be at boot camp about the same amount of time. And by the time I start SEAL training, he says, oh, he'll be back and he's going to see me make it through. He just had to go do this thing, which is to go off to Iraq. And uh, he says, I just want to share something with you. I've never told anyone I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it. And so to hear those words from, you know, my mentor, so this cool. guy that's like a second father to me. And so we get off the phone and just a number of days later, I'm, I'm watching the, the television as, mm -hmm. you know, there he is with a smiling image on camera at first. And I'm like, what is this? You know, like very confused. What is Scott doing on TV, this smiling picture? And then I seen the lower third of the screen, his birth date followed by a dash, and it says March 31st, 2004. And just all the things that followed after that. He was one of these contractors with Blackwater uh, that was ambushed and killed in Fallujah. And these insurgents had videotaped everything they're doing to him and the others. And they strung him upside down from the Euphrates River Bridge. They stared into a camera and they chanted over and over, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. And I mean, that was a life-changing moment for yeah. me, big time. And the decision to move forward, uh, my motives kind of changed to some degree too. It's like, I'm gonna go forward with this, but now there's almost like a hatred in uh, me that was not even there before. Interesting. You know, a feeling of like, I couldn't wait. I was hungry and thirsty to get over there to kill. Amazing. And when I thought about being a SEAL before in the was, parking lot, it was the cool stuff, right, you know, the, rock star stuff, yeah. you know, like you get to work with like exotic weapons and yeah. you can blow things up and jump out of airplanes. I didn't pay a lot of thought of what's it going to be like to pull the trigger and take somebody's life. Not only was I thinking about that now, I was hungry for it. And so I, there was a big part of me that wanted revenge. 
And that's not a good fuel to live off of, yeah. but it is a fuel. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, those reasons would mature along the way. But on graduation day, I remember walking out because I had Scott's name on the inside of my hat mm. as a constant reminder and a motivation. I remember looking up and just thinking, Scott, you know, we did this together. Mm. Happiest day of my life. Crazy thing is this. It didn't take more than 24 hours. So... Where are you in any kind of faith stream or belief in God at this point? I'd say as far back as I could remember, I almost had this sort of God consciousness. I think he's given that to all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, he even says that much in Romans 1. Since the creation of the world is invisible attributes yeah. are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, uh, even his eternal power and Godhead, yeah. so that we are without excuse. And so he's manifested himself within us. So I had this awareness of God. But I didn't really have that relationship ever where I really stayed with God. Right. It was more of a, God, if you could just get me through this, I know I'm not living the life that I'm supposed to be living. I know I'm not in a right relationship with you. If you just get me through this next thing, then I'll follow you. Right. So I knew I wasn't following. And it was always, if you do this, then I'll follow. Yeah. You get me through it, it seems, and then I would be like, all right, see you next fall. Yeah. And so anytime I was going through some type of pain and suffering, as Lewis says, you know, that pain and suffering operates as God's megaphone yeah. to rouse a deaf ear, he would get my attention when I was going through some type of struggle. But as soon as I had, you know, peace again, well, you know, pleasure is, it's like God could barely speak to us in our pleasures. Yeah. And so I had this awareness of God, but I, I definitely was not being a follower. So what what brought that awareness to the table? What 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 happened in your life where all of a sudden you realized did somebody preach the gospel to you? Was it an event? Where, where did God somehow come into the picture in more than just a you know as as you know an ATM machine or or right. somebody who was going to give you what you wanted? I think that I put so much into becoming a Navy SEAL and thinking that that was going to be the answer because all of us have a sort of a hunger yeah. and a thirst, but we don't really know what it is that we're striving for. And we think that, you know, what that thing is, is it's maybe, you know, an identity in the workplace or maybe it's making a, a certain amount of money or maybe what I'm missing Marriage, in my life yeah, as a relationship children. or grandchildren. Yeah. So we keep moving the bar thinking that's going to be the thing that fulfills us. And so we're always striving for this next thing. And it does satisfy for a little bit, but the satisfaction never really lasts like you expected it to. And so we just keep moving the bar and moving the bar and moving the bar. Well, I think I got to a point where the bar was so moved and becoming a Navy SEAL that I didn't really feel like there was a next move yeah. after that. And I just thought, if this doesn't do it for me, what will? Yeah. Nothing. And so that didn't then send me on some type of you know search, spiritual quest. I kind of felt like that's it. That's all there is to life. And so I was very upset by that. I didn't share that with anybody. Right. But uh, I, I was just, I felt like I was just, I don't know how to put it, just in, in the dark lands, you know. And, and I thought, if anything to look forward to, which isn't really much to look forward to, is maybe getting a little revenge overseas for Scott. And so while I was getting ready to deploy uh, with my, my team, I ended up getting invited to go to an event where Greg Laurie was going to be speaking. And I had no sincere motives of being there. <laughs> I, I thought that I, I kind of knew what this was all about. Right. I'm just punching my card in, you know, to church with the family because yeah. I hadn't been in a long time. And I put them through a really big scare before or a night where I just blacked out drunk and I needed to get 26 mm. stitches in my knuckles. And so I realized, like, I owe them one. Wow. And so I decided I'll just go. I'll suffer through this. 
But my whole plan is to go out drinking later that night. Oh I'll go. They'll be happy I went. They'll go to bed. And when they go to bed, that's when my night really begins. Wow. And so, you know, he, he starts sharing this story about a soldier, which is ironic. You know, here I am, this active duty, you know, Navy SEAL. And it's a story of, of Naaman, the leper, in mm. Second Kings chapter 5. And just how that leprosy was so much like sin. He couldn't get it off himself. There's nothing he could do to fix himself. Jesus, looking back, says nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. But by going and seeing the prophet uh, Elijah over in Israel... Uh, Naaman was, uh, he had a, a way to be healed, but it was going to take not quite what he thought. He was exactly. going to pay for it. He thought he could buy it. Yeah. And what it was going to take was uh, humbling himself and, and putting some faith and trust in the God of Israel to do all the heavy lifting. As he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River uh, and, and rose up on that seventh time when he came up, the God of Israel did all that mm. heavy lifting. He removed his leprosy. And this gets related to just the beautiful story of the gospel, how, you know, we can't buy our way into heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. God already did all the heavy lifting through his son, Jesus. So we don't have to dip ourselves in the Jordan. He dipped his son down into the world. And, and when Jesus was up there on the cross, he paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. And mm. so it's like that spiritual leprosy. You know, we're spiritually covered in sin. We're spotted and blotted. We can't get it off ourselves. But Jesus trades skin with us. He took our leprosy, our sin, upon himself so we could be lavished with God's grace and mercy. You know, it's just a reminder we can't give up on people, right? Like, we have the summer series, and we ask people to invite people. And, man, just can't stop inviting people. You can't right. stop telling people because, again, there's that God coincidence again where Greg's talking about a military situation in the Bible and all. So... One point on that, too, yeah, is that yeah. part of Naaman's story was he was so furious that he got told to go dip in the water. He wasn't going to do it. He was taking off. But he had some men around him that cared about him. And if Naaman continued to take off, he's dead. He's going to die in his, yeah. his leprosy. It's terminal. But these guys cared enough. And I'm sure they didn't know how it worked exactly. They just know this much. We need to get our Naaman back in front of that God of Israel and something supernatural will take place. Yeah. And that's what it is to bring people to, you know, the, the summer series yeah. and bring people to church is that you don't have to have the special words. You don't have to be brilliant exactly. or eloquent. Just get them in front of the message of the God of Israel and step back and let the fireworks take place. And if you really want to take it another step further and look at the heart of God, no Israelite had ever been healed of leprosy because in Leviticus, there was something the priest had to do, but that never happened until Jesus healed someone That's in the New Testament. So it's very cool. So you gave your heart to Christ that night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I find myself realizing this is this is it. Like this is the whole meaning and purpose of life. And, and I've been missing it all this time. And what really bugged me was it was so close for so long. Too. Now, did the fireworks go off? Was it was the grass greener? Like, that was my experience. I, I went from darkness to light. What was your experience? I like how you said the grass was greener because yeah. it was almost like color. It was almost like seeing in black and white. And suddenly I see color. I remember looking up at the sky thinking, I never walk out and look at the sky. All of a sudden, I'm looking at the sky. It's blue. Everything mm -hmm. looked like it was 
3D. Like an added sense. Exactly. You know? We have six senses, exactly. but now I have this other dimension yeah. that just opened up. And what that is is spiritual life. I was spiritually dead, and now I have spiritual life. And with that spiritual life, I then really comprehended I'm not just God's offspring, <laughs> right? Like as, as Paul says in Acts 17, we're all his offspring, yeah. but we're not all children of God. Right. You know, you have to become a child of God. And so I had this awareness like, I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven of my sin. I have a place in eternity. And so that was the the sense that I had that night. And I remember my girlfriend looking at me, asking me what just happened. And I'm looking at her telling her, I just became a Christian. Amazing. And she was kind of like, right. I thought you are always were, right? Because that's what's on your dog tag. I'm like, no, I just became a Christian. And she's like, does this mean we're not going out to drink later tonight? I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> So uh, just in case anybody's listening, uh, Peter says we're born not of incorruptible seed, but by the seed of the word of God. We're born again. Mm -hmm. So there is a transformation. And sometimes it's not instant. It's always instant, but sometimes the reality takes a little longer for some people. So you had to do what I had to do. I got saved on a college campus. I had to go back to a locker room the next Mm -hmm. day. You had to go back to the military. Right. So you have an experience of... You know, people look at you now and say, you're full-time in the ministry. You don't know what it's like to go to work. You don't know what it's like to go to school. You do know what it's like to go into that kind of environment. 100%. I remember the battle inside of whether or not I was going to tell the guys <laughs> on the team or just kind of maybe let them watch We all and play see. that game, yeah. And so I was battling that. And also part of me, just in case, it's funny because it was so real, the transformation, but I thought, keep it to yourself just in case you mess yeah. up, you know. Uh, but I realize it's very important to let them know. And so that gave yeah. me accountability. Even if they're not Christians, and a lot of them were not Christians, you share with your non-Christian friends that you became a Christian, they will keep you accountable because they are waiting for the opportunity to point at you and go, hey, man, I, I thought know. you were supposed I to know. be a Christian. So they're like, hey, I don't hold myself to this standard, yeah. but hey, we're going to keep you yeah. honest. And so I remember telling the guys of the team, and I thought it was going to be this big what? Like what moment? I told my guys, got to let you know something. And they all kind of get quiet and they look at me like, what's up? And I go, last night I became a Christian. And they're like, oh, okay. Good for you, Williams. And I'm like, oof. All right. Got that out. Um, but as weeks would go by, they wanted the old Chad back. That Well, they knew they got a clue of what that really meant. Yeah. yeah I think they thought, all right, he was getting a little I, out of I control. Lost, I lost basically all my friends, but two mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Uh, looking back on it, I, yeah. I can't think of any friends that have really stuck around. I got a couple of acquaintances that used to be best friends. Yeah. You know, we check in on each other from time to time. And I wish somebody would have told me that, Hey, you thought you were in the fire before, before all of this, things really heat up once you become a Christian, yeah. but it's different. You're not in that fire alone anymore. Yeah. Like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, yeah. they get thrown to a fiery furnace. But, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in there, he goes, didn't we throw three men? And look, you know, they're all walking around. There's four and one looks like the son of God. You know, Jesus assures us in this life, you will have trouble. Yeah. So becoming a Christian isn't a gateway to a trouble-free life. If anything, the heat turns up, but you do it differently now. You don't do it alone. He says, in this life, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that was the big difference is that even though it felt like all of my friends had left me, I was never really alone. I was closer with the Lord at that time in my life than any other time before. So God has different paths for different people. Obviously, you could have stayed in the military, followed that career path, but you came to a crossroads where you realized God had a different plan. Why don't you tell us about that? That was one of the interesting insights on the night that I got saved 
was like, God gave me a shot down the corridor of time. I immediately knew that night something I didn't know two seconds earlier that I was going to get involved in full-time mm-hmm. ministry. I want to do what that man just did right there, communicate this message, because I felt like this message was the prime, most important, preeminent message yeah. that anyone could ever hear. And so, hey, it's one thing if you could save someone's life on a battlefield, fight for freedom. At best, you save their temporal life, but we all die. Incredible. Right? This is eternal, that if you save someone spiritually, they're reborn. Though a man shall die, he shall live. And so I realized this is the bigger battlefield, yeah. right? Temporal versus eternal realities. And so I knew the night I got saved, I was going to, as soon as my time was up, as soon as my contract was done, I was doing six years. I was about three years into it. I had like roughly about three and a half years to go that this is just a time of preparation. This is a time to start learning, you know, God's word to learn how to communicate the message. So you shared this with me, uh, in a restaurant and I was blown away is that you started your path to your new endeavor under Ray Comfort street preaching. Mm -hmm. And, and when you told me about it, it's almost like you took all the preparation to be a Navy SEAL and you just started putting the same preparation in to what God had for you in your next path. I, I don't want to use the word lucky, but I'm tempted to use the word lucky. But really what it is, is just like God's appointed our times and our boundaries. So here I'm in Huntington Beach, California, my hometown. Anytime I had a little bit of time off, that's where I, I wanted to be. And I wanted to share the gospel with people in my hometown. And so it started off just no training from anyone. No one had to tell me to do this. I knew. Like, everyone has to know this. My eyes were open. I'm that crazy guy, right? That, like, all of a sudden my eyes are open. I I was blind. Now I see. And you're all blind. And I want you to see. So I'm doing the best I can. I'm like a bull in a china shop, you know, to share the gospel with people, share my testimony, who I was, what I heard, what happened. This is for you. And Ray Comfort was down there doing his open-air preaching. And I didn't know who or what a right. Ray Comfort was. Yeah. I thought he was just some local guy sure. uh, just showing up. Little do I know. I, I think I, I picked up on it one day when after being out there a couple months, because he doesn't toot his own horn. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know I've written 70 books and I have you know, four uh, television programs on, on major network television. Um, I found out one day just by someone saying, yeah, we came all the way out from Wisconsin to see him. And I'm like, wait, we're standing here in Huntington Beach. You're saying you got an airplane, got a hotel, oh got a rental car. To see him? Ray? And they're like, yeah, don't you know like who he is? And so that's how I found out that he's actually very well known, not just somebody here in the local square in Huntington yeah. Beach. So now um, God gave you another mentor. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so t- to this day, yeah, he is like the the Scott Helvinson of the Navy SEALs. He's the, the, the SEAL of Christianity, yeah. Yeah, mentor in my life for sure. Yeah. And I learned so much watching him in action and then getting put into action, you know, by him. So anytime I, I just didn't know how to respond to a question, I'd see a, a crowd heckling him and giving him a hard time. Uh, he would just have a great, you know, answer. And I was like, just, I, I just kept taking those down in my mind. Like that's yeah, the answer. I, I think that's the preparation young people or people want to go into ministry mix. They walk into a place like Greg Laurie's church or maybe here and they think, oh, wow, this is so easy. You know, the guy gets on and plays guitar. This guy does that. And, and if I just put all those ingredients together and they become like bakers and they don't understand there's a lot of preparation. You know, Paul went in seven years in Arabia 
and John the Baptist, you know, in intense preparation. So, yeah, the, God is always preparing the man yeah. way before the moment ever comes. I think I probably opened there, preached more than 500 times to it's hostile incredible. crowds that wanted nothing more, the majority of them, than to just mess you up, trip up your words, throw questions and objections your way just to get you off track and make you look foolish before I ever shared with a controlled environment, yeah. church setting, where people, where people are all hear you. smiling and, yeah. and like rooting for you. And, and I almost needed that. I got to a certain point where I felt like I was more at home, like in the hot seat, open air preaching with people heckling at me. The, sli the silence of people in a crowd, like as you're sharing with them in church, was like deafening to me. It's crazy. I was crawling in my skin, you know, but that's the easiest environment, you know, really right there. So were there any people in your life, maybe your dad, that were thinking, this is Chad's new kick? Because I knew I heard that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Bob's on another kick. This is the last couple of years. And... Yeah, definitely not family, but the guys that I was with and the teams, they thought, all right, this is just some spiritual phase he's going through. We'll have the old Chad back before we know it. I mean, if you can imagine where I was taking you know, the, the drinking and partying before is that you know, Seals kind of had that reputation. Sure. We know how to, yeah. we know how to have a good time. Yeah. Even these guys are telling me, "Hey, you're taking it a bit too far." Right. So when I'm letting them know I became a Christian, I think that they're kind of thinking, "Like, all right, good. This guy needs some kind of spiritual kick for a little bit." But as the old Chad was not coming back, and they start saying things like, "We want the old Chad back. Where's he at?" I'm telling them, you know, "He's dead. He's gone." And so that's kind of what happened with a lot of the guys in the teams and a lot of my my friends that I'd happened to that point. They thought this is just the new thing. It'll fade away. I remember one guy in the teams that told me that he was a Christian, and he says, "I remember being just like you. You'll 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 cool off eventually." I was the same way, and I remember thinking in my head, "I hope I never ever yeah. become the way that he is because yeah. it's almost like." the dead church walking around right there. Happens to a lot of people. Chad, so you have a book, you speak around the country. Uh, anything God have on the horizon? Any whispers God have for you of the future? Things, or do you feel like you're in your sweet spot? Well, I mean, I'll just kind of throw it out there. Um, well, a couple things. One, it, there's almost always been a movie in the works, like with this book. It's uh. come so close so many different times in, in you know major studios. I've been... You know, in those those rooms with the studio heads at Universal, Paramount, Sony, Lionsgate, Thunder Road, um, MGM. You know, it almost happens and then it doesn't quite. Right. So that's kind of stirring up again. You know, we'll see if that happens. My passion right now, um, I just wrapped up, you know, Bible College doing that online, Liberty University. I got a bachelor's in biblical studies and theology. I love teaching college age kids. So we started doing that, the local nice. church that I'm at. Um, and I really want to get them sort of geared up. I want to be a Ray Comfort in their life, nice. you know, so that they could get out there. That's where I wanted to end how it's so important for us to have two or three people in our lives that we're trying to push along who we see promising. You know, the, the power of movies and television, just from my own perspective. So in our summer series, the two largest crowds we've ever had are from Bethany Hamilton, the soul surfer, the right. girl who got her arm yeah, bit off. Fit. And Lee Strobel, whose movie, A Case for Christ. Mm -hmm. Of course, the book is, you know, a bestseller. Right. But, uh, Bethany Hamilton, people were setting chairs up 10 in the morning, and I really saw the power of movies. It really reaches a broad audience. And uh, Lee's movie, of course, was done by the Christian industry, mm -hmm. done really well for the Christian industry. Um, so I really hope that movie 
happens. Yeah. Would you go to a second tier Christian organization to produce the movie if that's the way it had to be? Yeah, I think so. If that's yeah. the way it had to be, I definitely want it to be as crossover as possible. Um, I don't want it to be, you know, made by Christians for Christians. Right. The whole goal would be to be exactly. evangelistic. Yeah. And so, just like with the book, if being a Navy SEAL and sharing some SEAL yeah. stories is what is the attractant that brings them in initially. Right. I mean, even Jesus used some sort of attractant at the beginning when he would give the illustration of, you know, uh, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He would hold up a, a coin, you know, whose inscription is on this. And so it's kind of the flashy thing that draws attention. Yeah. But then he has a powerful thing to well, say. Well, I mean, afterwards. Laura Hildenbrand's Unbroken. Somebody gave that to me for Christmas. Hmm. I read the book as though it were just about a guy in World War II. Right. And she saves the last 30 pages for him in a Billy Graham crusade. I almost feel like a Christian would have ruined that book. Hmm. They would have made it a bigger part of it. Right. But you were drug all the way to the end and then the penny dropped. So, yep. yeah, uh, the power story. And, you know, I think I was sharing you earlier about even in debates I've been involved in never shrink back from the power of your story. Right. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. There's power in all of our stories because God's writing our story. So true. Yep. Once I was blind, now I see. That's what it really comes down to. Chad, it's been great talking to you. Uh, pray God's blessings on the movie. If there's a second book or whatever you might do in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's been great. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, head to ccdelco.com to stay up to date with all of our sermons, our resources, all the events that are going on at Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. We'll see you in our next episode, and we pray that you're blessed this week.